0: Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages, driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. Easter Sunday. This is exciting for me. This is my first Easter as a lead pastor, and so I've shared this with a few people. I have another friend uh, who, this is also his first Sunday as a lead pastor. His name is Hadley, and we've been texting this morning, kind of sharing like our thoughts and, and our feelings, kind of through this whole like kind of surreal deal of going, how did we end up here? Are we really that old, right? It's you know, one of those kind of conversations. Uh, have we made it to this point? So here we are, Easter Sunday, celebrating the resurrection of our Savior, and I'm, I'm excited. I'm super pumped and and. and just thrilled that this is where we are this morning. So I want to start real fast with Philippians 3.10. And and just in a summary, Paul writes, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection of his resurrection. Over the last seven weeks, prior to this Sunday, we have walked through the seven phrases that Jesus spoke on the cross, the seven things that he said while hanging on the cross. And if you've been with us, you know that that we've walked through just the shortest of verses, uh, I thirst, right? And and just walking through, what does that reveal to us? What What is Jesus showing? What is he teaching us in that moment on the cross? And we've spent an extensive amount of time intentionally building to the moment of the resurrection. My hope through this last series was that we would have a greater awe of what Jesus did for us on the cross, that we'd have a greater appreciation for what Jesus did for us on the cross, because it's not a small thing that he did, right? We spent seven weeks intentionally building our hearts up to the moment of celebrating the resurrection and walking through what Jesus did for us there on the cross helps us to understand the power of the resurrection, See, Paul, I think, had it right in understanding that it's not just about knowing Jesus, but to know him and the power of his resurrection. What does that fully mean? What does that fully look like? What does that reveal to us? And if you missed our, our series leading up to this, essentially, here's what we gather from, from what Jesus said on the cross, that, that Jesus took our sin to the cross that he died for us and, and defeated sin, death, and the devil through the acts that lead through the resurrection. But but what we find is that Jesus did not die for the social elite. He didn't die for those that were just broken and, and, and downtrodden. He didn't die for for the, the the left wing or the right wing. He didn't die for conservatives or liberals only. He didn't die for, for black or white or, or for green or for purple alone. No, he died for all people, for all men, that there is no person that is excluded from the blood that Jesus shed is what we find through the words of Jesus that he died for all people, that there is not a a single group that was left out or set aside. You know, it would be easy in the Jewish world for him to say, well, he didn't die for the Samaritans because clearly they're they're not as good as us, or he didn't die for the Gentiles because he was a Jew, he died for us. No, 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 Jesus died for all people. There's no dividing line or or thing of that nature. The the blood of Jesus was shed for everyone. And that's what we find through the words that Jesus shared on the cross is that Jesus died for everyone. Beaten and broken, crushed and bruised. He died for us. But the most exciting part of the story we get to celebrate today. He did not stay in the grave. He did not stay in the grave. He rose from the dead. And today... We get to celebrate a risen Savior. And that, that makes me excited. That, that, that gets me pumped up. That gets me ready to roll. Like, I, I've said this before, like, man, I wish I could go and do a workout after this because I'm just pumped. Like, I'm excited and I'm thinking, mm, this would be so good. I feel like I could just, it would be awesome. But, I'll probably be exhausted by the end of the day, and therefore I won't. I'll go and take a nap. But I just get excited. I get pumped up. I'm like, man, this is so great. Today we get to celebrate a risen Savior. Today we get to talk about a king who is not dead, but who is alive. In John 20, verse 1 uh, through through, through 10, or verse 1 through 8-ish is probably what we're going to do. But it says this. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Could you imagine the feeling of panic? Because obviously in this moment they have forgotten everything Jesus had ever talked about and all of the fact that he said, hey, you know, you you can kill me in three days, I'll, I'll rise again, right? He says, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. They just missed all of that, right? And so here's this moment of just fear and panic going, oh no, what has happened? He is missing and we don't know where he's at. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running But the other disciple outran Peter. By the way, the other disciple is John, who wrote the book, and I feel like that's just a little jab to let Peter know, I'm faster than you. Uh, I just, I've always thought that, every time I read it, I go, I think John's throwing a jab at Peter, like, he's going to read this one day, and I want the world to know, right? I just, it's how I've always gathered that, right? so it says he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there but he did not go in and this is where he goes okay simon i'll let you have a i'll let you have a moment then simon peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb which means like he had time to stop and look in and then be like you coming or right, anyways okay <laughs> he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around jesus's head the cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen finally the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. He saw and believed. There's something remarkable that takes place in this moment that we see, we see John come to this place and he, and he steps into the tomb and all of a sudden there's this realization and understanding of it happened. This really happened just like he said it would. And there's this understanding and this belief in that moment. All of a sudden, it is this solidified understanding that he is, in fact, the Messiah. He has told us so. We've walked with him. We've seen the miracles. We've, we've been in step with him so many times. And even the disciples struggled with unbelief through their time with Jesus. Then asking him, are you the Messiah? And he's like, who do you say I am? Are you? you know, these conversations take place. And all of a the sudden, there is this moment of recognition recognition and understanding that, yes, in fact, he is the Messiah. John says he saw and believed. He walked into the tomb, and it's empty. And it, to him, it wasn't this moment of, what did they take? You know, where did they take him? Where did they place him? Where did they put our Messiah? Where did they put Jesus' body? But he steps into the tomb, and he believed. He was like, whoa, it really happened. It really happened. Our faith is a resurrection faith. We believe that Jesus is the Messiah based on the resurrection. The resurrection is what solidifies our understanding and our belief that he is the Messiah. Because any person, in, in theory, could have, in fact, died for us. Now, they would not have been sinless or blameless. They would not have been uh, worthy of uh, the atonement that Jesus was for us. Their blood would not have been as good for us as the blood of Jesus, yes. But any person, in fact, could have claimed to be the Messiah. In fact, several people have, in fact, claimed to be the Messiah. Uh, David Koresh comes to mind. That guy wasn't the Messiah. That guy was crazy. Right? And so you have all these people throughout the time and throughout the course of history. There have been others besides him. There have been several people who have come along and claimed to be the Messiah, but none of them had the power to raise themselves from the dead. So we see in this moment through the resurrection that Jesus is solidifying the fact that he is the Messiah. He is risen from the dead. Our faith is a resurrection faith. We believe in Jesus because of the resurrection His resurrection gives us victory. His resurrection justifies us. His resurrection gives us life. Apart from the resurrection, there is no power for us. That's when Paul writes in, in Philippians three ten, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. It's not just simply saying, I, I want to ask Jesus into my heart. I want to have this relationship with Jesus. Paul had a relationship with Jesus, right? Paul, at this point, he's writing books of the Bible unbeknownst to him, but he's writing these letters. He is speaking about Jesus. He's speaking about the work of Jesus to all of these different churches, starting churches Ever Paul knows Jesus. Paul had had the, the encounter with Jesus and, and, and had the, 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 the moment of, of conversion that he had and, and this whole process and, that he had gone through. He knows Jesus, but he's saying, no, no, no. I want to know him more than I have known him before. I want to know him and the power of of his resurrection. See, Paul's explaining to us something that's so profound and something so deep that when we know Jesus, the power of the resurrection is in us. And he's saying, I want to grow in my understanding, in my knowing of the power of the resurrection. So before we dive deeper into that, let's, let's have just a basis of understanding of what is he talking about when he says power? What is this power that he's speaking of? And, and, and he uses uh, the Greek word dynamis. dynamis. It, it is where we get our word for dynamite. It is this explosive power, and and it is this this incredible force, essentially, that we're reading about. In fact, the, the, the direct definition means the potential to exert force. The potential to exert force. This is the word that Paul used to describe the power of the resurrection. He said there is potential to exert force. There is power in this resurrection. There's more to it than just somebody... Taking in a breath and standing up and walking out of a tomb, this is is so much greater than that. This is more than just somebody breathing in again and walking. This is the power of the resurrection. This is the power of the resurrection. The first thing this morning is this, there is victorious power in the resurrection. I want to talk about knowing the power of the resurrection this morning. Don't you love a great underdog story? As Americans, I think that is one of the things that like fuels us around the Olympics. It's like, all right, who's the person that really doesn't have a chance that we can pull for, right? And so we go and we look at the obscure sports and like curling. That's why it became such a big thing because like Americans don't have a chance. And then we win gold. We're like, yeah, Americans have a chance. You know, it's that kind of thing, right? So that's how we feel about it. So in 1980, is, it was the greatest underdog story in Olympic history. And we're all familiar with it because we've at least seen the movie Miracle on Ice, right? We've, we've at least seen the movie Miracle, right? We're familiar with the story because of, of you know, popular culture has made it such a huge huge thing. But the idea of the greatest underdog story that we could ever know, we love it. We thrive on it. We jump into it and we go, yes, I want to pull for that guy. I want to, I want to pull for them. I want to see them succeed. I want to see them do well. They're not supposed to. They're not these pro- great professional hockey players that, that the Soviet Union has. They're not these They're not these incredible athletes. You know, they're good athletes. They're good hockey players, but they're not these big name professional stars from around, you know, from that part of the world, right? And they're just going to, these young guys are going to go up against these professionals. We don't have a chance. And then they come out on top and, they win gold and it's the famous do you believe in miracles right this whole moment we get excited about that because we pull for the underdog that's why we love the rocky movies because let's be real sylvester stallone is a terrible actor and yet we enjoy those movies thoroughly because we want to pull for the underdog and the guy can't even talk right i'm like what did he even say is there even dialogue in the movie i don't know But we pull for him because he's the underdog, right? And we're like, man, I want to see him win. I want to see him win. And that's why we went back to watch the second one because he lost the first one. You're like, man, and he's had us hooked and now he's filthy rich. So good for you, Stallone. (laughs) Steroids worked out well, so... But we want to pull for the underdog, right? It's a part of our DNA as people. We're like, man, I want to see you succeed. I want to see you come out. Jesus is the ultimate underdog in this situation because from the naked eye, from the outsider perspective, you see him hanging on the cross. And, and the disciples probably even had the thought of, it's over. The run is over. It's finished. And they think he's gonna, he, he can't die. He can't die. Surely he's going he's to come off of the cross and there's going to be this great moment where the angels come down and everybody recognizes and sees that he's, he's this Messiah. They're going to see it. It's going to happen, right? And then he dies. And the guards go and report to Pilate that he is in fact dead. And then Joseph of Arimathea comes and says, can I have the body? And he wraps him in the linen. and He lays him in the tomb. And then the... the, the, the The Pharisees go, okay, let's seal this bad boy up. This thing needs to be sealed tight. We need to know that somebody can't come along and just take it. And they put guards in front. You go, everything is stacked against the disappearance of the body. Everything is stacked against Jesus winning this battle. He is the underdog in this moment. He is the underdog in this situation, in this scenario. He is dead. He is lying in the tomb. And if not for the fact that he is the Messiah, he would lose this battle. But there is power in the resurrection. There is victorious power in the resurrection. See, Jesus is the victor. He does not lose. He doesn't sit back. He may appear to have lost for a moment, but he's going, you don't understand. This is a part of the plan. I have to die in order for salvation to be made complete. I have to ascend to the depths in order to see salvation be made. I have to defeat sin. I have to defeat death. I have to defeat the devil. And the only way to do so is to die. So Jesus says, I am victorious because there is victorious power in the resurrection. And that same power is in you and I when we step into relationship with Jesus, we then in turn can walk in this victorious power of the resurrection. You no longer have to lose the battle to sin. You no longer have to lose the battle to the enemy and the tempter. You no longer have to lose the battle to death because when we step into the resurrection power of Jesus, we are victorious. There is victorious power in the resurrection. Jesus was dead, but he was only waiting for the right moment. He said, I've got work to do, so I'm going to die, and I'm going to go complete the job that I've set out to do. And then on the third day, he breathes again, and he steps out, out of the tomb. Could you imagine? I would love to see how it plays out in that moment. I, I know in heaven they have, they've got the greatest DVR system of all time, and we're going to go up there, and I'm going to be like, hey, God, can you roll back to the moment? You know the moment. Like, we all, everybody wants to see it. What did it look like when it was like... Like, did it just like, poof, like, I feel like there's pyrotechnics involved and whatnot. I don't know. It, but, but it's just this incredible, powerful moment when all of a sudden the angels appear, the guards are just overwhelmed and they're like passed out on the ground. Like, did you see what just happened? Right. You know, it just, poof, they fall over and the angels go and just roll this tomb away and Jesus walks. I mean, I just, it's just, to me, it's one of the moments that I go, I want to see that because he was victorious. There's victorious power. The resurrection. The second thing is this. There is justifying power in the resurrection. You may think to yourself, or, or maybe you've even said it, you have no idea what I've done. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know the people I've hurt. You don't understand the shame and the guilt that I have, that I've brought on myself, that I've brought on others. You don't know what I've been through. There's no way I could ever stand victorious. There's no way that, that Jesus... Could ever do that work for me, or maybe you're on the complete opposite spectrum where you're going. Why do I need Jesus? I have a good life. I've got money in the bank. Things are in order. People like me. I'm not hurting anybody. You may think I'm I, I'm set. I'm good to go. I don't need anybody's help. I don't need. To. Here's the reality and the fact of the matter is, we are all sinners. We're all sinners. Romans makes that very very clear. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, sin, we've talked about it all the time, separates us from God. There is now a chasm. There is a a gap between us and God because of sin. See, every one of us is a sinner. If you've lied, you're a liar. If you've stolen a piece of gum, you're a thief, right? We can go down the list and we can make these, these statements and we can do this over and over and over and over, but the reality is sin is a part of us. Sin is a part of who we are. We are sinners. We all have an issue or a thing. There's something that we've done wrong. It just, it's natural. We are born with a natural desire to sin. We have raised two awesome children. We have two boys. And I know this for a fact, that from the time they were born, they had this thing inside of them that said, I'm not going to do what mom and dad tell me, right? It's just a part of it. It's, it is, it's just part of what you do. So you go, now we weren't like the most crazy over the top baby proofers in the world. Uh, we, we didn't put little things on the cabinets to keep them from opening up. To get, we just, uh, just wasn't something we did a whole lot of. We didn't put a lot of covers on the outlets and things of that nature. We had some where it was like, okay, that's just right out in the open. And yeah, there's a good chance that he'll get at that or whatever. But we decided that, hey, we're just gonna really pay close attention to our children, which meant that Lauren decided that she was just gonna really pay close attention to our children. <laughs> Uh... There's no sense in making up stuff, right? I mean, I am preaching, let's be real. Uh, you know, so, so we had this, this thought of, yeah, you know, we're gonna watch the children. And we did, we did really, really well. Like we didn't have a child electrocute themselves. None of them drink cleaning supplies, like this kind of thing, you know? So we, we but we had to teach them and we had to, to stay on them and watch them and, and, and stay uh, on top of it and just go, okay, no, we don't open that cabinet. No, we don't, we had a cabinet, but like, okay, this is all the plastic Tupperware. Open that one up. That one's good. Like they're now your drums, right? And that's what they would be, you know, that kind of thing. And we would teach them, and you work through that. But can I tell you, it was never like the first time they started to walk over to, to an outlet with something that we said, oh no, don't do that. And they go, oh, sorry mother. Thank you for showing me the error of my ways. And they just turned away and just never did it again. No, 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 no. Those kind of things, it's just, you can go down the list of scenarios, right? It's just, it is what it is with children where they go, you say, no, don't do that. And they go right back. No, like, no, don't do that. And they go right back. Like we used to have a potted plant and it was like, hey, I'm going to go over and pull the dirt out." you're like, no, don't pull the dirt out. Keep the dirt in the plant. Keep the dirt in the plant. This kind of thing. It is naturally in them to want to do what's wrong. See, it's in all of us, right? Because our parents can say the exact same stories about each and every one of us. My parents are here this morning, and I know they're going down a list of things right now as I'm saying this. It's in their minds. They're going, yep, yep, yep. So it is in us, right? We all naturally want to rebel. Naturally, we want to do what's wrong because it is in us. It is in our, our sinful nature. We are born that way. No matter how great you think you are, or how good you think you are, or how wonderful of a person you've ever been, you know, we still have sin in our lives that needs to be dealt with. This is the greatest thing about the resurrection, is that through the resurrection, there is justifying power. Justifying power. What, is, what does that mean? What, is that, what are we talking about here? See, it is through Christ that we are made righteous. We are justified. Justified. It's essentially as just as if I'd never sin, right? We are made right in the eyes of the Father. It all of a sudden bridges that gap, and we are brought to the Father. We are brought to relationship. That happens through the power of the resurrection. That only happens through the power of the resurrection. Our sin was so, so great that we couldn't escape the penalty. And we talked about, in, in the very first week of our last series of Words from the Cross, we talked about how he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And we talked through the idea that we don't understand how sinful sin is. We don't know the depths of our sinfulness. You see, God hates sin. God hates it. He despises it. He can't be near it he doesn't want to come close to it and he goes i can't i'm sorry but it's through the work of jesus through the shedding of his blood and through the power of his resurrection through the power of his resurrection, that we are justified, that we are made righteous. It's only that way. We could not pay that price. We could not pay the penalty. There is no way for us to ever live good enough. There's no way for us to ever think we're good enough or to act good enough. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. It is impossible. It is only by the work of Jesus Christ. It is only by the blood of Jesus that was shed and only through his resurrection power that he has defeated sin. He has defeated death. He has defeated the devil and we can step into the power of his resurrection we can be justified by the work of jesus coming out of that grave the power of his resurrection the power of his resurrection it's remarkable it's overwhelming at times you go i'm not good enough and he goes i know that's why i came that's why i came his love for us is so great. His love for us is so vast, so deep that he was willing to endure the cross until completion, knowing that only he had the power to lay down his life and take it up again. It's moments like that where you read that and you go, how did the disciples go? What did he do? Where is he? You go, he told you, I have the power to lay down my life and take it up again. And it's through that power, through the power of the resurrection that we are Justified. It's the justifying power of the resurrection. Just like Paul, we should long to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Our salvation is made complete through the resurrection of Jesus. His resurrection shows his victorious power, his justifying power, and his life-giving power. I think that's probably the, almost in a sense, like the no brainer, like, yeah, he came back to life. We got it, right? No, this is so much more than that. This is more than just speaking to the fact that Jesus was dead and now he's alive again. This is more than that. This is simply about that his life-giving power that that he stepped into, that he was victorious with, that he justifies with, he then also imparts the life-giving power to you and to I, to each one of us, that we can now walk in the life-giving power. We see Jesus walking amongst the disciples again, eating with him to show that he's not just this spirit figure, but he is a physical body. And he says, do any of you, does somebody have some food? He asked that. He goes to the disciples. He's there with them. He's like, do you have anything to eat? And they're like, oh yeah, sorry. Hey, he's, I mean, I was dead for a little bit, still hungry, right? You know, like, I don't know. I don't know if Jesus ever spoke to people that way, but in my mind, he was like, come on, give us a picture. Like, see what's happening here. I'm famished. <laughs> told you i wasn't going to eat again until all right okay it's been days but they see the holes in his hands right he's showing them look i am physical body i am flesh and blood i am a living being amongst you i am here i just have the ability to walk through walls now because i'm jesus right that's just kind of what happens the door's locked and he comes in and he reveals to them that he is alive. He is not just a spirit or a being. He says, "I have life-giving power." Right? The resurrection shows the life-giving power. I think in our Christian culture, we're aware of the story of Jesus, but I think that sometimes that works against us in our awe of God. I think because in our, in our society, in our culture, we're all people are going to show up to church today that don't normally go to church because it's Easter. We are a quote-unquote Christian nation, or we were one, at one point in time, but, but we're aware of Jesus. People know the story. There is this, this vague connection to the story of Jesus. There's this, this understanding of, oh yeah, he died, and, and then today we celebrate because he rose from the dead, right? And I think what happens is culturally, it removes the awe of God. It removes the power of what he did. It removes the understanding of how great this miracle actually was. It's more than just just a story in a book. It is life-giving power. It is more than just something we read. It is life-giving power. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. If you say, I know Jesus, but I just, I want life. I want life. I go, you're missing it. You're missing it. If you know Jesus, step into the life that he has for you. Step into the life-giving power that he's already given to you. The power of the resurrection is in you. If you know Christ, you just have to walk in that. You have to say, I'm taking that on now. This is now my identity. I fully recognize who Jesus is, and I step into that life-giving power. That means that all the power that was in Jesus is now in you. If you have the resurrection power in you, that means you can walk in the fullness of who God is. Jesus' power can change hearts. This life-giving power can change hearts. You may say, you don't know where I'm at. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've... Been. You know, I've heard every story. I've been in the ministry long enough now to, to not be shocked by anything anymore. I mean, seriously, anything. I have heard the craziest of the craziest stories, and I'll share some of those in time in different sermons because they all make great illustrations. But the reality is, there is nothing you've done that God's gonna look at and go, oh, well, maybe we need to think again on this one. His life-giving power can change hearts and change lives. If you come to the Lord repentant, he's gonna go, done, And, and, and changed, forever changed, forever shaped to be a new creature, to be a new creation. He can break off the hardened exterior of any heart. You may say, I have a friend who will never come to know Jesus. Their heart is so hard to God. No, 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 listen. The life-giving power of the resurrection can change a heart. It can break off that heart exterior. You continue to pray. You continue to reach out. You continue to go after him and say, God wants to change your life. God wants to see you as a new person, and God is going to begin to work. He's going to begin to do new things. There is a life that is full of joy. It's full of peace. It's full of freedom. New life, not what you have always known. Wherever Jesus gives life, it is eternal life. That is the life Jesus gives. John 3, 16, I think we all know it so well. In fact, I think it's probably the most known scripture in all of the Bible. And it says, for God so loved the whole world, this is the NIV, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Life And that's probably, like I said, the most known, but, but I think it goes a little deeper if we read the next two verses, and it says in verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. And I think that's what so many people assume, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son, See, you understand it's as simple as believing on Jesus. You believe in him, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you will be saved. See, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. It's only through the rejection of Christ that there is condemnation. Heaven and hell are real places. And it's the belief in Jesus that allows us to have eternity in heaven with Jesus. Today, my heart is that you know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. He came to give us life. His resurrection shows us the victorious power, his justifying power, and his life-giving power. New life. That's what I think is the most incredible thing about his power through this resurrection is that it is new life. It's not just a revamped better version of the old one. It is a new life. In, in, in John three, also Jesus is talking to a man named Nicodemus, and he's going this, And he says, "How how can I, you know, go to heaven?" Essentially, is what he's asking him. And he says, "You have to be born again." And he goes, "It's funny. How 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 am I supposed to uh, enter into my mother's womb again and be born?" And he says, "No, no, 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 no." He says, "Flesh gives birth to flesh." He says, "But your spirit must be reborn. It's a new life. It is a new creation. It is a new beginning. And the power of the resurrection is life giving." is life-giving. The same life that Jesus then stepped into can be imparted in each one of us. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.